When there's a big tempest going on, on the Sea of Galilee, all of the disciples are freaking out, but Jesus is sleeping in the boat. He's not worried about it. So if you find yourself running hot and cold, in and out, all these big waves, you have to say, Lord, will you hem me in so that you take off the extreme tops and the extreme bottoms so that I might be a steady person? Life brings with it many opportunities for big emotion, both high and low. While emotions are good and something God has given us to express ourselves, we can easily let them get out of control. In today's message, Pastor Daniel will remind us to let God be in command of our lives in all ways, even our emotional responses. Instead of letting what we feel dictate where our lives end up, God should be the one leading and directing. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Joshua, chapter 7, with part one of his message, A Crushing Defeat. open up in our Bibles to the book of Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7 as we continue our study through the book of Joshua and a message that I'm calling a crushing defeat. Now I know it's unfortunate that when I think about a phrase like a crushing defeat, for me of course my mind goes to a last minute play in the Super Bowl a couple years back. If you remember the moment, and I know that you do, because we live here in the great state of Washington in the Portland metro area, the, it's just amazing to see the Seattle Seahawks after a last-minute touchdown by the New England Patriots land all the way at the one-yard line with about a minute left. And you remember the Seahawks. Now, listen, I'm not a native Seahawks fan. I'm a New York Giants fan. Four Super Bowls in my lifetime. Anyway, anyway, that fateful where Russell Wilson dropped back to pass and he threw that pass and it got intercepted and the Patriots won the Super Bowl, like their 97th Super Bowl, you know? And it's such a, like, I even right now, there's some people I know in here, like, they're still in therapy over that game, you know? It's really, really rough. But it's unfortunate, of course. In the Bible, when we see the people of God experiencing a crushing defeat. And what's interesting for us is that oftentimes as followers of Jesus, our greatest vulnerability is right after a time of tremendous victory. And in the midst of the victory, nobody actually wants to be like, okay, no, keep your guard up because because you're victorious. If we're not careful, we're going to assume too much. We're going to take too many liberties and we're not going to stay as locked into the heart of God as we might normally if things weren't going so well. But what we find here in this text is the children of Israel just had this amazing victory at Jericho. I mean, literally, like, they marched around Jericho one time for six days. On the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. They blew some trumpets, they shouted, and the walls fell down, right? And on the heels of such a tremendous victory, 
It'd be very easy, and the children of Israel do this. They begin to think, okay, we got this. God's got this. It's easy now. And then right on the heels of that, crushing defeat. And I don't want to be all like overly dramatic, but am I the only one who's ever experienced this in this room? Where like something amazing happens, and you're like, yeah. And then the next thing you know, because you're not being mindful or thoughtful, you're not being careful walking circumspectly as you might need or normally do, all of a sudden something bad happens. And that's what happens here in Joshua chapter 7. On the heels of the amazing victory at Jericho comes the crushing defeat at Ai. So let's break it open together. So Joshua chapter 7 verse 1, it says this, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua, and they said to him, do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Sebarim and struck them down on the descent, therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Now, there's a lot in this, and really this is like the crushing defeat. This chapter opens up with an ominous word, the word but. And now you guys know, like I always talk about the buts of the Bible, and if you start giggling, it's because you're a sinner. No, I'm just kidding. The buts of the Bible, the word but is a contrasting word, right? So it's meant to take this thing and now you're contrasting. Now, the end of Joshua chapter 6 says, So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan. And they explain how he took some of the accursed things and the anger of the Lord was provoked against the children of Israel. Now we're going to unpack exactly what happened in a moment. But really what's going on is on the heels of a great victory, not all the children of Israel honored God's requests for how they were meant to deal with the spoils of the defeat at Jericho. And what nobody realizes is that this man Achan takes of things he's not supposed to take, and now God is upset because they didn't honor what God wanted. So on the heels of that, what happens is that Joshua, he sends men from Jericho to the next city, which is a city called Ai, which literally means ruins. That's what the word Ai means. So whether or not it was named later and they called it ruins because of the ultimate defeat of it, or there was some sort of archaeological ruins there, that's the name of it. Now, they sent these spies about 10 miles. That was the distance between Jericho and Ai, right? And they say, go on up and spy out the country. So these two spies went. When they return, they come back and say, listen, only send a couple thousand people. This city's going to be easy. 
right? And right away, you see their presumption. When it was the time for Jericho, they sought the Lord, they got a plan from the Lord, and they executed a plan. You notice there's no, and they sought the Lord. It's not there. Because on the heels of such a great victory, now all of a sudden, they're assuming and presuming that because yesterday's victory was there, now today's victory is ensured. And it's a lethal mistake. See, that's the downside of the spiritual victory. Is that if we're not careful, we don't use the same means to appropriate the plans and purposes of God. We begin to assume that God is going to do exactly the same thing, and we don't even think to inquire of the Lord or to search out his word to say, God, what would you have for me? So we always have to be careful with spiritual presumption that we already know what God wants to do. See, could you imagine if Joshua and these spies sought the Lord and the Lord said, well, listen, I don't want you to go up to battle right now because there's sin in the camp. And if you guys go up to battle like this, you are compromised because of the sin in the camp and defeat's going to come. So let's root out the sin in the camp first so that nobody gets hurt. And that's the problem if we're presumptuous spiritually. See, I always say it this way. You guys have heard it from me many times. God loves you too much to want to see you get hurt. In the same way with, as a father with my children, when they come to me and we talk about things, I love them. So I want to help them understand, hey, this is what's going on. Like I even think about it with my son Obadiah now as he's a middle schooler and, and you know, he's involved in, in the internet and all these things. And I have to be like, okay, so listen, you know, not everybody on the internet is your friend. And he's like, well, why aren't they my friends? So I'm like, well, not everybody on the internet loves the Lord and loves you. Some people just want to hurt people. Why would they want to use the internet? I'm like, I don't know, but they do. Right? And and like, it kind of blows his mind. I'm like, so don't tell anybody your name and don't tell anybody where you live and don't tell anybody, you know, I'm going through all the riot act for proper online etiquette for a 12 year old. Right? And he's like, and dad, you know, like I go to go to this website and I can't go to the website. Why can't I go to the website? Well, we have a filter on there. Yeah, it says blocked for gambling. I'm like, because that's, we don't want you gambling all your money away, buddy. (laughs) But like, listen, we're not playing around in our home. Like, we have, guardrails in place for our family to make sure that everyone's safe. But my 12-year-old doesn't understand that. But when he comes and says, Dad, what is this all about? And I can start to explain it to him. Why? Because I love him, and I love him too much to want to see him hurt himself. And that's the heart of our Heavenly Father. See, if they would have inquired, they would have found that right now is not the best time to go to battle because they are vulnerable because of sin within their ranks. But they don't do it. Instead, these spies come back and they say, man, don't weary the people. There's not a lot of people in AI. This is going to be easy. They speak with great confidence. So it says in verse 4 that only 3,000 men went up from the people, but they fled before the men of AI. And the men of AI struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Severim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Now, what's interesting about this is we learn here that only 36 people died. Now, out of a company of 3,000 in modern warfare, we'd say, well, I mean, if only 36 people go down, why is this so bad? Well, don't miss the fact that their last battle, which was their first battle in the promised land where God promised to give them the land, nobody died at all. 
So all of a sudden you have these men fleeing from the army of Ai and 36 people die. This is their first taste of defeat in the promised land that God had promised for them. And it literally says that people's hearts, it's very provocative language. The hearts of the people melted and became like water. You see how quickly everything changes. They went from being presumptuous, overconfident, being like, oh, let's not weary the people. It's going to take no time. And now all of a sudden, everybody is beside themselves. Why? Because this is a classic example of people, although believing in God, they are in the flesh. Listen, you'll know you're in the flesh when you're up and down, up and down. Anybody know what it's like to be up and down? See, What we have a tendency to do is we end up riding the waves of emotions. But you have to realize, God has given us our emotions, and God wants our emotions to glorify him, but we shouldn't always trust our emotions. We shouldn't put all of our stock in our emotions. Really, we have to be careful because Jesus is steady in the midst of the storm. Jesus, when there's a big tempest going on, On the Sea of Galilee, all of the disciples are freaking out, but Jesus is sleeping in the boat. He's not worried about it. So if you find yourself running hot and cold, in and out, all these big waves, you have to say, Lord, will you hem me in so that you take off the extreme tops and the extreme bottoms so that I might be a steady person? And I think that's an important word for us because emotions are strong, aren't they? Now, I realize that for some of us, emotions happen inwardly, and for some of us, they happen outwardly, right? But what I've learned is that emotions happen for everybody. It's just a matter of everyone sees it or not. Now, being all Italian from New Jersey, obviously, all of my emotions get worn on my sleeve, which means if I'm happy, you know it. If I'm sad, you know it. If something hurts me, you know it because everything is out there. But I also know some of you, you guys are just like, you're like the duck who's like so elegant on the top of the water. But underneath, you're like, you know? And so some of you you guys are like, it's boiling on the insides. And some of you, when it's boiling, it's on the outside. But either way, what God wants is he wants to level us out. We still have all these feelings, but we want to make sure that we're not giving ourselves over to it. See, the children of Israel are having these great highs and these epic lows. They go from being overconfident to literally their hearts are melting away like water. And that's not a healthy thing. Now, from there, it tells us in verse 6, Then Joshua tore his clothes, and he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. This is verse 6. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their head. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites... And all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Now, right away, what we realize is that not only Joshua, but all the elders of the Israel, they expressed great grief and displeasure. All of these words, the tearing of your clothes, falling to the earth with your face down. 
putting dust on your heads. All of these were biblical ways of showing grieving. Now, I know it might sound extreme. You might, well, so you ripped your clothes. This was long before, you know, people had walk-in closets, you know, and you had, you know, free shipping from your favorite clothing company. You know, and you have your spring wardrobe and your summer wardrobe and your fall wardrobe and, you know, and you have like, I really, you know, I like this kind of, you know, hybrid texture on my skin. It really works with my color palette. It's like, this is long before all that. It's like people had like one set of clothes and for someone to literally tear their clothes was a sign of absolute grief and displeasure. This is the worst thing that could happen. And for them to fall down on their face, completely prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant, had to literally put dust on their head. I mean, nobody does that anyway. But this was the sign, like, I am humiliated lower than the dirt. That's what that means. That's why this whole idea of fasting and sackcloth and ashes, it literally spoke of us saying, we are so humbled. We are so humiliated. And then they begin, they're not only content to be humbled before the Lord, but Joshua, as the leader, is seeking to understand. He wants to intercede for the people. He's seeking now, on the other side of a crushing defeat, to understand what on earth is God doing right now. Now again, what I think is beautiful here is that Joshua's response to the defeat is correct. He humbles himself before God and he seeks the Lord. But you realize, if he would have done that beforehand, we wouldn't be here. So either way, at some point, people find themselves humbled before God, but one is after the defeat, and it could have been before the defeat. Now, here's the thing. For each one of you, either way, at some point in your life, you are going to bow your knee to Jesus. You're either going to bow to him now of your own Volition, responding to who the Lord is and you will be saved. Or if you say, I will not put my faith and trust in Jesus, at some point when Jesus returns, you will bow the knee to him anyway because he rightfully deserves you to bow the knee, but it won't be unto salvation. It will be unto judgment. Now, I don't believe that because I like it. I believe it because my Bible teaches it and Jesus is real and he's alive. Now listen, but I realize that for some of you, you hear that, you're like, yeah, so like, that's just a scare tactic. No, no, it's not a scare tactic. That's just stone cold reality because Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if I, as a rational, hopefully mostly logical person, if I know at some point I'm going to bow the knee to Jesus, if it's, I either do it now unto salvation and an abundant life and an experience of who the Lord is and the presence of his Holy Spirit, or if I'm not going to do it and I'm going to end up bowing the knee later only to realize that he was always who the Bible said he was and I'm going to enter into a lost eternity, why would I not want all the benefits of knowing God here? And now, because either way, you're going to bow the knee. And listen, I'm not trying to be flippant or coarse, but if you have not said yes to Jesus, will you do it tonight? Will you do it today? Will you not wait one more minute? I mean, what's holding you back from allowing Jesus to be who he is? Your Lord and your Savior. The one who came on a rescue mission for you. See, listen, Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Why? Because the world is condemned already. See, Jesus' coming does not condemn the world. The world was already condemned. He came to save it. And he wants to save you. 
I mean, what else does God have to do to bring salvation into your life? I mean, Jesus came. The God of all glory took on frail, fragile human existence, lived a perfectly lived life, always did those things that pleased his father, and then was lied about, was falsely accused, and was killed, and he was the perfect person. But then, not even enough that he was crucified, he conquered sin and death by being resurrected from the dead. He's done everything other than make you believe it. And he's saying, will you let me save you? It's like if you had a terminal disease and you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, yeah, look, you know, you got a terminal disease. You're like, well, no, I don't. He's like, no, you do. And the doctor's like, well, all you need to do is take this prescription. Just take this and you're going to be made totally well. Well, I don't really believe that I have a terminal disease. I mean, who are you to say? I know you're a doctor, but like, I don't believe in your credentials. You know, I believe in Eastern medicine. I don't believe your Western style or whatever, right? And if you die, is it really that doctor's fault? All you have to do is take the medicine. And Jesus is saying, look, you have a terminal disease. It's called the sin nature. Left up to your own devices, you're going to live in rebellion against God. And so am I. And he's saying, all you need to do is put your faith and trust in my son and you will be saved. That's all he asks us to do. Someone would say, well, how do you know you're right? What if you're wrong? I'm like, well, if I'm wrong, then I've lived following the greatest person who ever lived. And I'm living a life of love and joy and peace and service to humanity. It could be way worse, right? Like, I could be in a much different spot because following Jesus leads you in that direction. But then I always say, but what if I'm right? Then what? And they say, "Mm -hmm." so listen, I believe that there's some of you right now, you've been sitting on the fence with Jesus. You're interested in Jesus, but you've never bowed the knee. Make today the day that you finally allow Jesus to take his God-given rightful place in your heart as Savior and Lord. See, Joshua finally does what he was supposed to do in the first place, which is inquire of God for what God would have. And Joshua, in his intercession, he asks a number of questions because he's perplexed at what's happening. He's saying in verse 7, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought the people over the Jordan at all? He's like, why did you bring us in this promised land? Are you just going to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? Are they just going to destroy us? Jesus is real. Israel's intentions to take out another enemy may have seemed logical by the world's standards. But as Pastor Daniel pointed out in today's message, they missed one key thing. They didn't consult God, their deliverer and protector, to see what he would like them to do. Israel tasted defeat because of this and now had to humbly come before God to discover why. It would have been much easier to talk with him beforehand. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. 
And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will let us know that God isn't angry with us if we're followers of Jesus. This may come as a surprise to a few people, as sadly many people see God as vindictive and full of anger. However, Jesus took all of God's wrath when he hung on the cross, and therefore those who accept Jesus as the sacrifice that atones for their sin will always live in the grace of the Heavenly Father. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Conquest. Until then, may God bless.